got your Bibles, grab them. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. First Thessalonians chapter 3. Let me jump right in and read it just to familiarize ourselves with it. We'll primarily be looking at the uh, first 10 verses. Um, the little prayer that you find at the end of the chapter is a wonderful little prayer. I'm going to take that on uh, along with the passage we'll be in next week at the beginning of chapter 4. But let me read it. We'll jump in. Paul says, Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone. And we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in your faith, that no one be moved by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction, just as it has come to pass and just as you know. For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith, for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you. For this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. For now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you, for all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God, as we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. Let's pray one more time. Father, please help us now. Please help us. Um, open the eyes of our heart that we can see wonderful things from your word. Uh, we do, again, as we just sang, surrender it all, lay it down at your feet. Uh, and Lord, we ask that uh, your name would be honored and glorified among us. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. So uh, as we've been reading uh, through the book of First Thessalonians, one of the things that is unique to Thessalonians, if you're familiar with the letters of the Apostle Paul at all, is that the letter of Thessalonians isn't so much, especially here at the beginning, overtly theological in nature as much as it is personal and exemplary. And what I mean by that is, that, like, if you were to take the book of 1 Thessalonians and compare it uh, to the book of Ephesians, let's say. The, uh, remember last year we went through the book of Ephesians as a church, and the first three chapters uh, of the book of Ephesians are extremely theological in nature. Like, Paul comes out of the, just, he comes out firing in, in, in Ephesians with these theological terms of um, how we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms and how we've been predestined before the foundation of the world and in love we've been, been adopted and forgiven and redeemed. He throws out all these theological uh, ideas and he pretty much keeps that up for the first three chapters of the book until he just mentions a little bit his, something practical about his imprisonment at the end of chapter 3. Um, he, the, the book of Romans would be similar to the same thing, is that for several chapters, for the first 11 chapters, Paul goes uh, and gives some of the most comprehensive uh, theology that we find in one place anywhere in, in the Bible. And it's not that there isn't theology, uh, that's not what I'm saying, in, in the book of 1 Thessalonians, but... Um, as opposed to reading more like a theological treatise, it, it tends to read more almost like a personal diary a little bit. And, and that's important because we need to understand the nature of, of what Paul's doing here. In, in these, these early chapters of Thessalonians, um, he brings us into his love and affection 
for the Thessalonian people, and especially here in chapter 3, he brings us into his thought process regarding how to best carry out the mission that God had given him to strengthen the church and to make disciples. And so one of the questions I'm always asking of any text is, is why did God and the Holy Spirit and Jesus inspire this portion uh, of Scripture to be a part of the inspired Scriptures? Why is it a part of the Bible? And I think that in the original context, um, Paul was communicating his love to the Thessalonian church um, by sharing his thought process and his heart and how his affection for them, uh, his, his love for them. But I also think it's been preserved in the scriptures for us um, for a couple reasons, but one of which I, I really want to focus on this morning, and that is I think that it serves as a model for our lives and ministries um, so that we, as, as, we, um, as we share the love of Christ with our message, that our method, the same method that Paul used, um, that, those, that our message and our method might not be at odds with each other, that they, might be, that they might be woven together and that we would have ministries like the Apostle Paul's that are too effective because the message and the method both coincide. You know, it's, it's possible to have a message that we share but to not have a method that goes along with it and that seems to contradict it. So for example, I don't know if you've ever seen this or not, but, um, or, or maybe heard of this, but maybe somebody yelling at somebody, telling them that they love them. I love you! Why can't you see that? Well, that might be true. They might actually love them, but the means by which they're communicating that love is not congruent with the message that they're trying to communicate. You follow me? In the same way, many times, uh, this message of grace and mercy and of kindness and being accepted into the kingdom of God um, that we hear in the, in the gospel message, our, our methods uh, are not uh, congruent with it. And so, and so the, the, mission, the mission fails. And I think this is important for a couple of reasons. There, there's a couple of really practical things in here that I want to talk about this morning. And I think that it's, it's somewhat timely for us as a church. If I can just leave the text for just a second and just tell you, especially if you call Mercy Hill home, why we really need to hear this this morning, is that I think that we're in a season as a church where God has set before us many open doors. He set before us many open doors to proclaim the gospel and to make disciples, to let people know the good news about the grace that is found in Jesus Christ, which is what we're all about. Um, we have, uh, on a week-to-week basis, we get a steady stream through our website. Again, it's just very, it's a very technical thing, just a little form that people fill out. But we get a steady stream every week of people that want to be discipled. And as we talk with them, there's a real hunger in them to grow in maturity that they might serve effectively. We have several missions trips coming up over the next couple months where Joe is going to be taking, go, taking a couple trips to Uganda and he wants to take some people with him. We're going to be going down to Columbia, South America here um, in about a month or so. Now, I think we've got like over 20-some people going down to Guatemala um, at the end of January, beginning of February. God is setting before us a lot of open doors uh, for ministry. We, as most of you guys know, we've recently... Um, kind of started a second service out of what we're calling Mercy Hill West. It used to be Cornerstone Community Church uh, out past West Holmes High School. Um, and we are seeing God at work. But there, there are some things here 
in this text that I really want us to grasp and I want us to listen to. Because if we're going to serve effectively for God's glory, um, our methods need to match our message. Our methods need to match our message. And so um, there's a lot in this text. Again, when we're taking a chapter at a time and going with the Bible reading plan, it's always a little bit of a struggle uh, to kind of boil it down. But there's kind of four thoughts that I want to build the message around this morning. And they're just kind of uh, four realities of faithful ministry. Four realities of faithful ministry that I really want us to hear uh, this morning as a church. The first one is this, and I could spend all morning on this. I'm going to try to not to, but this is probably the thing that's most been um, pressing on my heart as I've meditated upon this passage in the last week. And it's this, is that all faithful ministry will require a burden, a burden from the Holy Spirit. I want you to look at verses 1 and verse 5 in the passage here. Paul uses this little phrase twice. In verse 1 he says, therefore when we could bear it no longer. He says the same thing down at the beginning of verse 5. He says, for this reason, when we could bear it no longer. Now this word for bear here, it's the Greek word stego, um, and it's, it's almost literally the word for roof. So it's this this word, it's a verb, stego. The word for roof in Greek is stege. So you can hear the similarity, stego and stege. And if, if you think about what a roof does, a roof shelters you from the storm. It bears the brunt of the elements, okay, that are happening outside so that you can be safe and sheltered inside. And one of the realities to ministry is that uh, there is a, there's, a, there's a burden to it, okay? And this is not just for pastors. This is not just for missionaries. If you want to be mature in Christ and you want to be a faithful disciple maker, you have to understand that there is a burden to bear. Now, let me say very quickly here that as I start down this road and talk about bearing a burden in ministry, that there's definitely a ditch that we could fall into, and I just want to acknowledge it, but the, the ditch being present doesn't mean that we shouldn't walk down this narrow path. And the ditch is this, is that I, I don't want you to hear me saying that, you know, um, that we need to have some sort of a savior complex. There's, there's only one savior, right? It's Jesus. He ultimately does everything. He does what, what needs to be done. However, there is a reality to ministry. As his body, he is the head, we are the body. No one of us is fully the body. We might be a hand, we might be a mouth, we might be an eye, we might be an ear, we might be a foot, we might be a knee. You know, however you want to tease out that metaphor that the Bible gives us for who we are as the body of Christ. But he is the head and he wants to get things done through his body. And each one of us is wired differently, each one of us is gift, gifted in different ways, but one of the things that will be the same, no matter what our gifting and what our role is, is that there is a burden to the ministry and the work, the mission that God has given us to do. <clears throat> and Paul says two times here that, again, in trying to get to the Thessalonian church, and we'll talk more about the context here uh, in a little bit and how he wanted to get to them, and at the end of chapter two, you'll remember that Satan was hindering them and they couldn't get to him. Um, but here he says that they, they, had, they, were, they could bear it no longer. They, there was this burden to get to them, to be with them. There's some other places in the scriptures. Um, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, just listen to this verse. Again, Paul describing his burden for the Corinthian church. He says, the love of Christ controls us. Other English translations say compels us or constrains us. It's the same idea is that there's a burden from the heart of God 
to our heart to carry out the mission of Christ in the world. And as his body, we have to understand that this is just a reality of being a disciple of Jesus Christ if we're going to be an effective disciple maker of Jesus Christ. Another place in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, listen, <coughs> excuse me, listen carefully to the way Paul speaks here. Again, um, none of us have borne a burden like this, but listen to a little bit of Paul's testimony. He says, five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A day and a night I was adrift at the sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, and in cold and exposure. But he doesn't stop there. And then here's the next line, verse 28 of 2 Corinthians chapter 11 that I want you to get. He says, and apart from all these things, listen, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Now, there's a tension here that if you're familiar with the Bible at all that I think we need to lean into a little, get it, a little bit and we need to rightly divide the word of truth is that on the one hand, as I even prayed earlier, like, like Peter tells us, cast all your cares at his feet because he cares for you. Jesus tells us, don't be anxious about what you eat, drink, or wear. You know, for your heavenly Father knows all these things. There, there, is a, there is a sense in which anxiety is actually a sin. That we're to not be anxious because we're to be resting in our heavenly Father. However, Paul very clearly says here, again, that apart from all these other things, physical sufferings that he was going through, he had the daily pressure of anxiety for all the churches. Now, Paul was called to be an apostle. He was a leader not just of one church, but he was an overseer of many churches. And again, we might not have an exact uh, apostolic um, calling in the same way that Paul did, obviously, but that does not mean that as disciple makers and as each one of us that knows Jesus as as their Savior, as members of the body of Christ, that there's not going to be a burden to our lives to accomplish the mission. Are you with me? And I I think that we need to to lean into this for a couple reasons. Number one is that just because it's hard isn't isn't an excuse not to do it. Amen? It's pretty straightforward, but sometimes we we can use that as an excuse. Just because it's difficult, just because it's inconvenient... We don't want to lean into it. There's a burden, there's a burden to ministry. The other, on, on the flip side of it though, is that I would say that if, if you don't really have a burden for something, then maybe you shouldn't do it. Because all ministry starts in the heart of God. And if I could just define burden, and, and if, again, if you don't like this definition, that's okay because I just made it up, but... Um, But here's kind of the working definition of what I'm speaking of when I'm speaking of having a burden. It's this, an unshakable sense of responsibility from the Holy Spirit to carry out a task for the glory of God and the good of others. Let me say that again. I'm speaking about an unshakable sense of responsibility from the Holy Spirit to carry out a task for the glory of God and the good of others. That all true ministry has to happen out of a burden from the Holy Spirit, from the heart of God. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God, the Bible says. And that same Holy Spirit lives in us. And I say that because, um, and again, this might not be for everybody this morning, so let me just, if you don't, if it doesn't really connect with what I'm talking about, that's okay. But I feel like there's a lot of people, uh, in fact, I know that there are, 
in our congregation in this season where God is beginning to really burden your heart to do some stuff. And all I just really want to tell you is, good, <laughs> that's normal. And may he continue to do it, and I pray that you wouldn't be able to shake it. I pray that you would know that it's from the Spirit of God, and that you would lean into it, and that even when it inconveniences your life, that you would still be willing to, to press into it. Now again, um, it's not about us. We're not, we're not martyrs. We're not trying to have a martyr complex here saying that we, we have, you know, the, the, there's this great burden to ministry. Jesus is the sun. We're just the moon. Uh, he's the substance. We're the shadow. We are saved by grace. And we also serve by his grace. It's why... Paul would talk the way he talked sometimes. Again, in the letter to the Corinthians, he, he said, I worked harder than them all, yet not I, but the grace of God that was in me. Uh, because if you've ever engaged in trying to do the work of the Lord uh, as he lays a burden on your, on, on your heart, um, you'll understand that it, it's not us. We can't do it in our own strength. It has to be, it has to be him. Um, and Paul here has this burden from the Lord for the Thessalonian people. Let, let me say this too. I want to sit in this for just a little bit longer. Is that uh, there's also sometimes where we pick up burdens that we shouldn't pick up. Probably the clearest example of this would be the brief little story. I think it's just like four, four or five verses or so in Luke chapter 10 of Mary and Martha. Um, and you guys remember the story. It says that Jesus uh, was in a certain village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with so much serving. And she went up to him, up to Jesus, and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to help me. And the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about so many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Here, Martha had picked up a burden that really wasn't hers to bear. And here's the thing about the, this burden that I'm talking about from the Holy Spirit. It's not something that you choose. It's something that you receive. It's not something that you just go and decide that you're going to have a burden for something. It's something that's given by the Holy Spirit, again, from the heart of God on to our heart. And if you, if you find yourself... Uh, stressed out to the point where you begin to uh, begin to blame others and begin to complain, then maybe you need to just recalibrate your heart a little bit um, to who's called you into this in the first place, or maybe you've actually picked up something that you just need to lay down. And, and this, uh, this burden is of the utmost importance, guys, because, you know, it's like when you talk to somebody and you're kind of pouring out your heart to them, and they might be sitting across the table from you. And you can just, some, it's just, you can just tell when somebody really cares. Do you know what I mean? Like sometimes everybody can, they can be saying the same thing. Like, oh yeah, sure, mm, okay. And nodding their head. But it doesn't feel like they're, they really care about what you're saying. And this is why this burden matters. Because if we don't have this burden, people can tell. People can tell if we care or not. That's all I'm saying. And as the body of Christ wanting to carry out 
his work. As simple as this sounds, it's really, really important. It's important that we care. Are you with me? It's really important that we care. And I think that the Lord is doing this among us. Again, it's, it's nothing new. He, he has been, but I just, I sense that he's doing it in increasing measure. And I, want us to, and I want us to lean into it. And so out of this burden, out of this burden that Paul has for the Thessalonian church, um, here's kind of the, the, the second mark of, of faithful ministry, is, is this, is that he has a commitment to what I want to call incarnational ministry. He has a commitment to incarnational ministry. Now this little phrase, incarnational ministry, it's been a little bit of a, of a catchphrase, catchword, that's gotten kicked around evangelicalism over the last couple, couple decades. Uh, incarnation just means to, to put on flesh. Jesus came, the, incar- the real, the full essence of the incarnation is that Jesus was born of a virgin, he came from heaven, and he put on flesh. To incarnate is to, is to put on flesh. But he came and he dwelt among us. And so when I speak of doing incarnational ministry, what I, what I, what I mean is face-to-face, in-person ministry, being with people, being in their presence. This is actually what this great burden that Paul has, this is what his burden is for. Again, if you'll just read these first couple of verses with me, he says, therefore, when we could bear it no longer, speaking of the burden, but what was his burden for? His burden was to be with them. He says, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone, and we sent Timothy, our brother. And you're like, well, Eric, if Paul has such a burden to be with them, why didn't he go himself? Why did he send Timothy? Well, you remember the end of chapter 2 that we looked at a couple weeks ago, chapter 2, verse 18. He says, we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. Is that because there's a power when somebody has a burden and wants to go to be with the people, that God wants them to be with that God is burdening their heart for, is that Satan's going to resist this. We are in a real battle, folks. The battle is real. The battle to minister to one another, to build one another up. Um, if I can just say this for a second, we, you, you know that here at Mercy Hill, we, I, we could not have a higher view than what we do of God's sovereignty. Okay, he is over all, through all, and in all. He's before all things. He's the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Uh, but 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 here's the deal: just because God is sovereign over the battle, and just because I believe the Bible teaches that we are assured victory, does not mean that we do not have to swing the sword, right? Just because we're assured victory doesn't mean that we just sit back and go, "Well, well, well God's got this." We get up, we take our shield of faith, we take the sword of the Spirit, and we do battle. Ultimately, against the enemy of our soul, we don't wage against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers unseen, the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 6. But God's sovereignty is not an excuse to not swing the sword. And Paul here, he's in the midst of a real battle. Satan is hindering them. This is a big deal for them to have to send Timothy. Again, Paul, if you, if you read some of Paul's like story, and again, I read a little bit there in, in 2 Corinthians about all the beatings and the whippings and the shipwrecks and all these different things, you know, I... Um, I'm not trying to take a cheap shot here, but it's just kind of funny. You know, sometimes like on the back of, you know, the Christian books and different things, it's like, um, uh, you know, authors that we kind of have like their picture of, it's like the glamour shot of, you know, Mr. So-and-so. And again, that's fine. I haven't written a book. If I ever write a book, my picture will probably be on the back of it. Anyway, but, but here's the point. It's like, imagine Paul's glamour shot. Like, I mean, you know what I'm He's been beaten with rods. He's been whipped. He's been shipwrecked. 
This man is, this man's body was not in good shape. All right? Um, he's a little bit older. Timothy is kind of the young buck with him. He's Paul's child in the faith. Um, I, I think even just simple tasks of getting around uh, easily and, and being there to help serve, I think Timothy was of great help. And so it was a really big deal for Paul to send Timothy to them. But he did it because Satan was, and we, again, we don't know the details of all of what was going on, but Satan was somehow hindering them from getting there. And so he sent Timothy because it wasn't enough just to write a letter, although the letter was good and the letter is born fruit throughout, you know, a bunch of generations. And we're, we're studying it here today. But he had to be with them. And here's the point is that when God places a burden on your heart, there's going to be a commitment to being with the people that God has called you to serve and to be with. Deep devotion to Christ is always going to look like deep devotion to his people. Um, this time of year always goes really fast. Kids are back in school. Sports are going on. Uh, the weeks seem to fly by even more than they usually do. So the holidays will be upon us here soon. Um, and I don't know about you guys, but does anybody have that person that like every year you want to buy them a gift, but they're the person that already has everything? Right? You're like, what do, I, what do I get you, you know? And so you're Googling weird gifts, you know, on Amazon. Um, maybe I shouldn't let you know that that's what I do if I don't know what to get you. Uh, but what, what do we give? What do we give to the God who has everything? Everything is his. Like, what could we possibly bring him uh, that he doesn't already that he doesn't already have. Here's what the Bible directs us to do. As a way of worshiping him, of bringing him the gift that would bring joy to his heart, is that gift is that we deeply love one another, that we serve each other. A deep devotion to Christ is always going to look like deep devotion to his people. And so you see, there, there's a massive disconnect sometimes in our worship and what we say about the way that we love God, but then the way that we love each other. You've heard me say this before, but I, I just think it's so telling that Jesus goes there, that Jesus is asked a question. And, he, and, and he's asked this question, what is the greatest commandment? What is the first and greatest commandment? And Jesus doesn't hesitate. He says, it's that you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. But then he adds this. He says, and the second is like it. You should love your neighbor as yourself. The guy didn't ask about what the, the second commandment was. He, that wasn't on the plate. But Jesus puts him in there because you can't disconnect him. Is that if we say we have love for God, then we have to have love for people. And part of loving people well is loving them in an incarnational way. In a way where we sit with them and we be with them. We spend time with them. We don't just do it from a distance. Although sometimes in, in Paul's case here, he, he couldn't get there, but he sends Timothy. And here's what I would want to say, especially 
if you're here this morning and you're in a season where God is doing a little bit of what I'm describing, where you begin to feel this burden from the Holy Spirit on your heart for a person or a group of people or to carry out a task for God's glory and for the good of others, is that when you can't do all that you'd like to do, do what you can do. Let me say that again. When you can't do all that you'd like to do, do what you can do. All that Paul would have liked to do is he wanted to get there. He wanted to be with them, but he couldn't get there. And so he did what he could do. He sent Timothy. Is that God might be laying a people group on your heart. God might be laying a nation on your heart. God might be laying um, a certain demographic of some sort on your heart. You might not be able to get to them, but what can you do? How will you begin to invest in the people that God has called you to minister to? And this is the treasure principle that Jesus uh, taught. He said that uh, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Is that if you invest in a certain spot, your heart's going to follow that. And so it's important that when God begins to burden our heart, that even if we can't do all that we can do, we do what, all that we'd like to, we at least do what we can do. And we begin to invest in the place that we feel the Holy Spirit calling us to do that because um, our heart is going to follow that. And, people, and people, people can tell. Third here, and this is really important if we want to be effective ministers of the gospel, um, and this is such an important reality uh, of faithful ministry and we miss it in our culture all the time. And I'll just say it like this, is that we must have a clear theology of suffering. We must have a clear, we must teach a clear theology of suffering. Um, he says, we were burdened, couldn't bear it any longer. We sent Timothy to you, middle of verse 2, to establish and exhort you in your faith so that no one be moved by these afflictions. Again, why is Paul burdened for them? Because of suffering and Satan that are at work to try to destroy their faith. But listen here again. It's, again, I, I said that it, it reads kind of like a journal entry from Paul kind of recalling his thought process and some of what they went through and um, trying to get to them. But listen, listen. Now, he's describing here in verse 3, he's describing the, the stuff that they taught them when they were with them for just about three weeks before they got run out of town, okay, and before he, he wrote this letter. So while they were with him in this short amount of time, Listen to what, what he shared. Verse 3, he said, For you yourselves know that we are destined for this. Destined for what? Destined for affliction. Destined for suffering. How did they know that? Because Paul told them. And he goes on here, verse 4. For when we were with you, what did they do? For when we were with you, listen, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction. Now, that sounds like almost nothing that we read anywhere in today's Christian culture. But Paul's like, when we were with you, just for these three weeks, like this wasn't something that they were going to get to in like, you know, um, in, in class 102 or 103. This was 101 stuff. In the brief time they were with him, Paul's like, we kept telling you beforehand that we were going to suffer affliction. Stick that in your prosperity gospel pipe and smoke it. Can I say that? It, it, like, it's like we, we kept telling you. Like, can you imagine this? Like, Paul, hey, do you want to know Jesus? Here's the gospel. He, he will save you. But you're going to suffer. It's going to be hard. If we're going to be effective gospel ministers, disciple makers, 
We have got to have a clear, robust theology of suffering. It cannot be on the periphery. It needs to be at the center. Why? Because we serve a man who was crucified. He came to this world, and the world hated him. Light stepped down into darkness. And it is because of sin, because of our sin, that he died. Jesus Christ did not just, did not just uh, teach a theology of suffering. He showed us a life of suffering. He modeled a theology of suffering. The Bible says he was the man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And the reason that he suffered was for our sin. And he was here in the flesh, incarnated, but now he is in heaven. He is the head. We are his body, collectively. We are what is left, and we, and we must suffer with him as he calls us to. And Paul did not beat around the bush. He didn't try to slip this into the fine print. Even as he was sharing the gospel with him on the front end, he followed the model of Jesus, who said, if anyone wants to come after me, he's going to have to die. If anyone wants to come after me, anyone, let him take up his cross and follow me. That's what Jesus said. We need to be willing to do the same thing. We, we have a real enemy of our soul, folks. Um, and yes, God is sovereign over it all, but, uh, but the battle is real. The battle is real. And we've got to swing the sword, and we've got to be willing to tell others that in this uh, journey, this life of discipleship, of following Jesus, um, there's going to be difficulty along the way. Fourth here is that Paul was absolutely tenacious, and, and we need to be as well, but he had a tenacious focus on fueling the faith of God's people. One of the things you want to look for when you read a passage of scripture, is there anything that just is repeated? Maybe it's not always a word, but just something, or even just an idea that's repeated a lot. Um, I don't know if you caught this or not, but the word faith is, is littered throughout this passage. In verse 2, he said, we sent Timothy to you to establish and exhort you in your faith. In verse 5, he said, I sent Timothy to you to learn about your faith. In verse 7, we have been comforted about you through your faith. Actually, there's one back in verse 6 as well. He says, Timothy has come to us now and brought us the good news about your faith. Down in verse 10, he says, we want to see you still and supply what is lacking in your faith. Is that because we are justified by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, that faith, uh, the Bible says in 1 John, is the victory that helps us overcome the world, through which we overcome the world. And this is what the enemy wants to destroy. And I believe that he can't ultimately, but again, that does not mean that the battle is not real. And Paul gave his life to fight for the faith of others, to encourage the faith of others. Um, if Satan can destroy our trust in Christ, uh, then he can also erode our love for one another. This is, this is subtle, but, but watch this here. Again, in the context here, pick it up with me in verse 5. Paul says again, he says, when we could bear it no longer, he says, I sent to learn about your faith for fear. So there's, there's a fear that Paul has. It's very real. He says, for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. But now that Timothy has come to us from you 
and has brought us the good news of your faith and love. And then verse 6, look at this. And reported that you always remember us kindly. Now, let me make sure you understand the context. They're there for three weeks. They get run out of town. He eventually sends Timothy back, okay? Timothy has now come back to him and reported that their faith is holding firm. And then Paul is writing this letter back to them, okay? So, but here's the deal, is that they send Timothy to them to see how they're doing. Paul is afraid that maybe because of this great suffering, because they're young believers, that the enemy would come in there and maybe it wasn't, maybe it wasn't real. Again, sometimes we have that struggle. Is it real? Is my faith real? Is the faith in somebody else real? You know what will bring that to light? Suffering. The enemy wants to use it to destroy, but God uses it to refine our faith and to purify us. But, but now look at verse, uh, the, the middle of verse 6 there. He says, He's brought us good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly. Now, now he, why does he say that? One of Paul's great fears is that if their faith had been destroyed, is that they would not be remembering them kindly. Meaning like, oh, this is so difficult. Life has gotten hard. Life has gotten hard. And you know who we're going to blame? I blame Paul. If he'd have just never brought us this message, man, our lives could have just gone right on and everything would have just remained the same. Paul was afraid that they would have begun to think ill of them because of the suffering that Satan was bringing into their life. And, and here's, here's just a little nugget that I want us to think about for our own lives. And it's this, is that when things get hard, there's always a temptation to blame other people. Yeah? You think about when you're going through real suffering or real difficulty, or maybe you're just having a bad day. Is it not true to life that we look to someone to blame? Yeah? But we forget many times that we're in a real battle. That Satan's out there. And here's the thing. If he can destroy our faith, ultimately he'll destroy our love for one another. You see, where, there, where there's strife, whether it be in a church, in a business, in a workplace, um, especially people, among people that are professing Christ, in a marriage, in a family, almost always the issue isn't on the horizontal level. The issue is actually vertical is that we've stopped trusting Jesus. Is that the enemy has been attacking our faith and in response to the attack that we feel from him, we begin to attack others. So I just ask you this morning, if that shoe fits, will you wear it? Or maybe that's not the right thing, but if the shoe fits, um, repent of it. Is there bitterness in your heart right now this morning? Are you blaming somebody else for the difficult situation that you're in? And again, I'm not saying that maybe other people haven't played a role or other people haven't hurt you. But I'm telling you folks, the longer I go and the more I study the Bible and the longer I'm a pastor and the longer I'm just a Christian, a disciple, trying to follow Jesus, one of Satan's greatest ploys is unforgiveness. And we have to daily bring it to him and lay it down and renew our faith and trust 
in him. Um, Satan wants to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And if he can destroy our faith, he can also destroy our love for one another. And we have to stand against it. So again, these are these, just some of the, these four realities that I want us to get. That we understand that there's a burden involved. That we have to be committed to doing ministry as much as we possibly can face-to-face, incarnationally. That the idea of suffering and difficulty can't be on the periphery, but it needs to be at the center and clear. And that we need to be committed. Uh, Have a tenacious focus, a tenacious commitment to encouraging the faith of one another. That's why the Bible says to encourage one another daily. Um, But if I can for just a second, again, I want us to get these things. I think it's there as a model. Uh, I know I've been challenged to want to pursue these things. I've been searching my heart a lot. This is where, um, again, when we look at things that are exemplary or as a model in the scriptures, it's, it's one of the places where when James describes the Bible as one of the uses of the Bible is that it's like a mirror, is that we hold it up to see what we look like. And so I have, a, I think I've shared this with you before, but I have a real, uh, oh, what's the word? Pet peeve, I guess. Or I'm very self-conscious about after I eat, if I'm eating with somebody, I'm so self-conscious that I have something stuck in my teeth. Might be too much information for you, but. Um, and so after I eat, I'll eat with somebody, especially, especially if I'm with somebody, I'll get up and excuse myself, go to the bathroom, uh, and just look and make sure there's nothing in my teeth. Um, and now I'm thinking about it even now, so I want to keep my mouth a little closed. Uh, but. Um, but, but here's what, when James says that the Bible's like a mirror, and we're talking about this being an example, what, what he means is, if we look up and we see something in the word that should be reflected in us, but it's not, it's, looking at, it's like looking in the mirror and seeing something in my teeth, and then I go, oh, I've got something in my teeth, but I don't do anything about it. You know, maybe I'm eating a salad, I mean, I don't eat much salad, but for the sake of the illustration, let's say I was eating salad, and... Uh, you know, I've got a piece of lettuce or whatever stuck in my teeth. And then I, go, I see it, I look in the mirror, I go, oh, yeah, i got some lettuce stuck in my teeth. And I go back out and I'm just smiling real big. And, you know, you're like, you got, yeah, that's weird. Get it out of there. When we look, well, my point is, is that when we look at the Bible for us in passages like this as a model for us, um, if there's things in our life that we need to pluck out, let's pluck them out. If you've been resisting a burden from the Holy Spirit that he's been laying on your heart, don't do that. Lean into it, even if it inconveniences you. If there's somebody that you need to go talk to, that you need to be near, that you need to be incarnational as much as you possibly know how, don't resist it. Go do it. If you've been shrinking back from saying some hard things to people because uh, you, know, you, you, you want to keep the suffering part in the fine print, don't. Bring it to the middle. If you've been focused on meeting the outward needs of people but haven't been focused on checking on their faith, building up in their faith, recalibrate your focus to where, to where it needs to be. But there, there's more going on here, and I'll try to begin, begin to wrap up here, but it's not just an example. This isn't just an example. But in this, this model that Paul gives us of these, of these four markers of of, uh, uh, of model ministry, um, in these things is the good news. And I, I've mentioned it a little bit, but I just want to summarize it again, is that when we talk about Paul having a burden for the Thessalonian church, and I said that that burden ultimately is from the heart of God, 
Do you know this morning that there is a God who is burdened for you? A God who is truly burdened for you. The interns and I are reading a book right now. I've mentioned this book before. I've quoted it often because it is a wonderful little book. It's called The Whole Christ. And then it, the, the sub, it has a subtitle. With, it's the most hilarious subtitle you've ever heard. Maybe I've shared this with you before too. But it's called The Whole Christ by Sinclair Ferguson. The subtitle is Legalism, Antinomianism, and Gospel Assurance, Why the Marrow Controversy Still Matters. Maybe you see the title, The Whole Christ, and then you read that subtitle, you're like, yeah, I'm not buying this book. Anyway, it's really, really good. Um, and it goes into some pretty deep waters, but some pretty foundational waters. And, and, but if I had to summarize the whole book for you, it's, it's this right here. It's how you answer this question. Here's the question. Does God love you because Jesus died for you? Or... Did Jesus die for you because God loves you? You follow me? Does God love you because Jesus died for you? Or did Jesus die for you because God loves you? And the answer to that question, in case you're unclear, it's the second one. Is that God doesn't just love us because Jesus died for us. But Jesus died for us because God loves us. That God so loved the world, he, if, if you'll let me hear, he had a burden on his heart for you and I. And he did what perfectly needed to be done. He wasn't hindered like Paul was, but he sent his son to come and to put on flesh and to actually be among us. As the Bible says, the word became flesh and he dwelt among us. He didn't just shout some encouraging words from a distance. He didn't just shout, swim, swim, to a bunch of drowning people. He came near and he died in our place. And as the Apostle John will put it later on in his epistle of 1 John, it says, that which was from the beginning, that which we have heard, that which we have seen with our eyes, that which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, this life was made manifest and we have seen it and we testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life that was with the Father and so was made manifest to us. Do you understand what I'm saying? God had a burden for us. And he sent his son and he came near. And I just, again, in all this like, talk this morning about like, I think there's a way to actually go through this. And again, I don't, um, like I think we need to look at it as an example. But there would have been a way to just like talk about it as an example and then walk out these doors this morning and never get to the gospel and miss it. And that's what I'm saying. Don't, don't miss it. The why do we minister this way? Because this is the way God showed his love to us. That he had a burden for us poor sinners, and so he sent his son because he loved us. The inclination, the disposition of God's heart towards us is love. Do you understand that? That if you're here this morning and you're carrying a burden and you are suffering and it's difficult, I want you to know that God loves you 
And the way he expressed that love was by giving you the offer of eternal life. And the reason he gives you that offer of eternal life is because all the penalty for your sin has been paid by Jesus. He had a burden and he acted upon it. And again, I I mentioned this, he didn't just teach a theology of suffering, but he showed us. He lived a life of the theology of suffering. And just like Paul is tenacious about being focused on their faith and fueling their faith, Jesus taught about this all the time. He said, what does it gain a man if he gains the whole world, yet forfeits his soul? And he would talk about how you need to be made right with the Father. In John chapter 1, it says, but to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, again, faith, Believe, believed in his name. He gave the right to become children of God. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already. In John chapter five, he said, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes in him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but he's passed from death to life. In John chapter 6, people asked him, they said, what must we do to do the works of God? Jesus responded. He said, the work of God is this, believe in the one he has sent. Later on in John chapter 6, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Again, a few verses later in John chapter 6, he says, for this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day. Do you believe in Jesus this morning? Even if you call yourself a Christian, even it's, it's not just a past tense thing, folks. It's not just a one and done thing. It's do you, are you believing him today? Do you believe that Jesus is the son of God? Do you believe that he's burdened for you right now? Do you believe that God is for you? In Romans chapter eight, again, I don't know why, but it's, it's, it's a, Romans chapter 8 is a pretty famous verse, but again, I don't know, this little, the little phrase has just been hitting me in a fresh way just in my own personal life lately. And it's that little verse at the end of chapter 8 that he says, if God is for us, who could be against us? Do you understand this morning that right now where you sit, no matter what your circumstances are, that God is for you? Amen? He, he, he will work with all of his might to bring about good in your life. Now be careful of thinking you exactly understand what that good looks like. Paul could have easily said, Lord, it would be really good. It's got to be the good that I never get beat again, that I never get shipwrecked again, that I never get arrested again. But he allowed the good, what that good was going to look like, up to God. But know this, is that God is working all things together for good in your life as you trust him to bring about your joy in him and his glory. Um, That's what he's doing. And I just want you to know this morning that he loves you. Worship team, you can come up. We're going to close. Maybe there's a chance this morning that... uh, I briefly mentioned Mary and Martha earlier too. Like, maybe you're in a season where you're, and as we're talking about this this morning, that you've realized that maybe you picked up a burden that wasn't yours to pick up. And so now you're complaining about it like Martha was. Uh, I would encourage you as we sing just to lay that burden down and to go sit at the feet of Jesus like Mary did. Um, 
real burdens that God wants us to carry out, out for his glory, that's where they come from. They come from just sitting at the feet of Jesus. And again, to be clear this morning, like, I, I, I hope no one leaves here with any sort of condemnation, meaning like, maybe you're thinking right now, Eric, I don't, what's wrong with me? I don't have a burden. Where do, where do I get it? Just, just, you don't have to go find it. It comes from just being with Jesus. And as you're with him, as he chooses, as he sovereignly wills, as we sit at his feet, he lays things on our heart. Um, but I do want to say this, and, and, I'm, and it, I, again, I feel like this is a real sp- kind of specific word this morning, but this is kind of what's been on my heart from this text, that as we sing, I'm going to go stand in the back, um, back in the baby corner, back there with all the babies, saying amen. Um, but as we sing, uh, if you feel like God is laying a burden on your heart for something, or you're in a season where he's been doing that, um, I just want to give an invitation this morning. I'd like to pray for you. I'd like to pray for you. And I'd like to pray that the Lord would give you wisdom and understanding in how to carry this out. And even if you can't do all that you'd like to do, that you'd be able to do what you can do and what that, what that looks like. Because, guys, I'm telling you, um, God has good things in store for us. And by good, I don't necessarily mean easy, but I mean there is no... There's no greater joy than seeing him change people's lives. And again, we're saved by grace and we serve by grace. But if you're looking, if you're a Christian and you're looking for something else to satisfy your soul other than seeing God do what only he can do, I'm just telling you, you won't find it. The only thing that can satisfy our hearts is seeing God do, and even at times, it's amazing, through our messed up lives, but working through our broken lives to accomplish his purposes. May it be so among us. I'm gonna pray, and if you'd like prayer, I'm gonna be in the back. Father, thanks for today. Thanks for being good to us, how we love you, and how it is truly a privilege to serve you. Jesus, I... All over the world right now, uh, I, I can't even begin to fathom all that you see and all that you know. All the varied types of suffering and pain and darkness. Um, that comes from the enemy who wants to steal, kill, and destroy. And Lord, in all those places, the one thing I know that your word teaches very clearly is that in all those places of darkness, you want your church to go. And you want us to bring light into those dark places. So Father, we're not, we're, we're nothing special other than the fact that we belong to you. <laughs> Um, we're not the most talented, maybe not the most gifted outwardly. I know I'm not, Father, but I, I, I pray, Lord, that you would use us. Pray that you would have your way in our lives. Pray that we'd sit at your feet continually. 
till we receive that burden from your heart. May the gospel of Jesus Christ, the message of your beautiful name, go forward from us like never before in this season. In Christ's name I pray, amen.